35 years later, people still get excited at the prospect of a new game in this series. It was originally released in Japan in August of 1986, and Metroid follows the best bounty hunter in the universe as she attempts to retrieve parasitic alien organisms that were stolen by space pirates. Metroid was a unique game for its time. It was one of the earliest open-world, non-linear type games. It was also moody, broody, isolationist. It was, it was special. So today we're going to be looking back at the original Metroid. We're going to talk about how it came to be, and we're going to learn more about the Metroidvania genre that it helped create. So don your best bounty hunter suit and join us for a space pirate hunting trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 51st episode of our Video Game Nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we take a look back at one title relevant to the current week in gaming history, and we talk about it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, and what it gave back to the world and its legacy. This week, we're looking back at Metroid, celebrating its 35th birthday. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who also fancies himself a space bounty hunter, my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, I'm going to do a little differently. I'm going to throw you a hard question right from the get-go. So, would you rather be a bounty hunter here in the Metroid universe or a bounty hunter in the Star Wars universe? Star Wars. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Real easy for you. Oh, come on, man. The, the, the freaking stuff that Metro era. Wow. <laughs> wow. All to a great start. The yeah. crap that Samus has to fight the Metroids. Um, yeah, that's a lot scarier than most damn things in Star Wars universe. Yeah, but lightsabers can, like, cut you in half in the Star Wars universe. Well, that's why you just be better than the Jedi. Yeah. Well, okay, so I was thinking about it. Yeah, I think the Star Wars is more interesting, has more characters, more everything. But let's be honest, people suck. I hate people sometimes. And one thing that pervades the Metro universe is that sense of you being the only person. Uh, and that's kind of nice sometimes. So, But all the time. Yeah, very true. All the time, probably not. Uh, it's probably not that hard of a question, but still fun to talk about nonetheless. So, how is everything? Everything's good. How about you? Everything's good. We were right before hitting this record button. You and I were talking about the release of Humankind today that we're looking to play. So maybe some real-time strategy in our near future. So that'll be yeah. fun. Uh, but speaking of video games, what have you been playing this week? Uh, this week has been mostly Jurassic World Evolution. Oh, yeah? So you've been building your own Jurassic Park? Hell yeah, I have. Do you like the strategy mode, or are you digging driving around in the Jeep getting to see the dinosaurs? I mean, it's honestly my first time playing the game, so I'm going through the campaign, so... I've definitely gotten some flying in and some driving in, but mostly just trying to play through the campaign, unlock all the islands, and just kind of do it from that. Just having some fun. Awesome. 
Awesome. So how about yourself? Uh, I got in a little bit of Ghost of Tsushima with my day off this weekend, and uh, I had time to play through today's topic of Metroid, and it was the first time I've ever played it from beginning to end that I'm a that I can remember. To be honest with you, so I'm well familiar with the metroid series i I wouldn't call myself a metroid mega fan but i'm a i very much enjoy and look forward to most games coming out in the series um but i got my start on super metroid this was a little bit of a little bit of a gap for me until until this week i finally I, i finally took the time well let's talk about it shall we that we shall so we've covered a bunch of Nintendo games lately. We know we we covered Donkey Kong's 40th birthday recently. And really Donkey Kong was the first in a whole slew of just successful platforming hits. Like it was a period of time where Nintendo could do no wrong. You know, you had Donkey Kong and you had Ice Climber and I don't I think Kid Icarus might be in the middle there. It might come after him. I might have my timeline wrong. You know, you had Super Mario Brothers uh, earlier in 1986, which is when this Metroid came out. You had The Legend of Zelda. So it was just a it was a period of, you know, Nintendo was just knocking them out of the park at this point. So. So they want to do something different. They were looking to they were looking to create an action title of sorts. And so they went back to Nintendo R&D one. We've we've talked a lot about R&D one recently. R&D one worked on Donkey Kong, for instance. And at the head of R&D one was Gunpei Yokoi, who we've also talked about recently. He was the one hired to supervise work on Donkey Kong alongside uh, game designer Shigeru Miyamoto. And the two of them would go on to work on Mario Brothers. Um, we've covered okay. him in yeah. We, well, we covered him in depth. I believe it was on the Super Mario Land episode. He's the one who met his untimely death in an accident. Also, the creator of the Game Boy, um, creator of the Game Boy. So he he did he did a whole lot of stuff. But someone that we haven't talked about is a Nintendo auxiliary company called intelligent systems now we've we've been introduced to another i I guess you can call them auxiliary studio before in hell laboratories when we covered the mother series which is earthbound Uh, and the first super smash brothers game i think that was honestly the first time we talked about it and intelligent systems got their start by porting games that were originally designed for the famicom disc system to the standard cartridge format that the NES used. So if you're confused by that, let me talk briefly about the Famicom Disk System. So the Disk System was basically a floppy disk attachment for the Family Computer System, or FCS, and the FCS was basically the NES in Japan. The Famicom Disk System never came to the United States. It's really just a floppy disk attachment. Um, it's really fascinating piece of technology in all honesty. I would uh, actually, I'm planning on doing an episode on it. Uh, after getting the research it for that, I've decided that I'm going to push it for its week of 2022. So it's officially the first 2022 episode I've decided I was going to do for sure. Uh, the Famicom disc system came out at the end of February, like the 22nd, I think it is, or 21st. So 
we're going to end up doing a whole episode on the Famicom Disk System back then. Or in, in the future. In the future. Yay! It's decided. Woo! Now you have one less week to help me pick. You excited for that? Heck yeah. <laughs> Alright. But kind of a teaser to it and what I want you to take away for today. There are many games that you and I and North American audiences that we think of as NES games, Nintendo games, right? And, and Nintendo cartridge games more specifically. A number of these games, though, were originally created for the Famicom Disk System. They were originally floppy disks in Japan. And these games would include the first two Legend of Zeldas. They were not cartridge-based in the, in the beginning. Kid Icarus, Castlevania, and today's game, Metroid. These were all original releases for the Famicom Disk System, and their cartridge-based releases would come later when the cartridge technology would catch up with, with the storage requirements and so on and so forth. Did you know that? Nope, sure didn't. There you go. We got one for today. So Intelligent Systems got its start when its programmer and soon-to-be, you know, head head of the development studio, uh, Toru Narihiro, was hired by Nintendo, like I said, to port games from the Famicom Disk System over to the NES cartridge. And it wasn't before long that uh, Narihiro oversaw an entire team that became uh, what's called an auxiliary program unit for Nintendo. And the auxiliary program unit is a studio that would give that would provide tools and hire people that would work on specific pieces. They would either program, they would fix, or they would port Nintendo developed software. Towards the end of the Famicom's life cycle, however, Narahero got an opportunity to program to program games to work on his own stuff. These these games were now the first one was one of the ones I couldn't remember the other day. Um, I think it's when we were talking about Hero Fuma and it was the war series. I remember could remember the wars. Um, the first one was called the Famicom Wars, but there's been one for every system. So there's like a Game Boy Wars, there's an Advance Wars um, and so on and so forth. So one of the first games that Naruhiro got to program for himself was Famicom Wars, and one of the next games was the very first Fire Emblem game. Rob, do you know anything about the Fire Emblem series? Uh, I know a little bit, but uh, definitely have roommates who are much more well-versed in that than I. That's all right, because it, it's one of those gaming series that is a just a black hole for me. I don't know much about the Fire Emblem game either. And I, I also could defer to friends who uh, who do pretty much so. Um, but one of the things I want to point out for this point, you know, maybe one day we'll do a Fire Emblem game, was that even though Narahiro programmed these games, it was Nintendo Research and Development 1 that produced the game design, the graphic design, and the music. But these games which should be a given because these series still exist to this day, they were incredibly successful. And so through the money that intelligent systems earned working on these projects, they were able to hire their own graphic designers, their own programmers, their own musicians, basically their own staff, and were able to transform their company from being an auxiliary programming unit into a full-fledged game developer, which is almost exactly the way how Laboratory started out, too. These are, these are third-party studios that just ended up working on first-party Nintendo software. Um, as, I just no as I just noted, you know they still work on the War series and the Fire Emblem series. 
Um, and there were some other series that they would go on to produce for Nintendo, one of which that still exists to this day is the Paper Mario series. Uh, have you played any of the Paper Mario games? I have not. Oh, you're missing out on that one. You don't play a lot of RPGs, though, do you? I haven't played a lot, although it's not that I dislike them. I just haven't really tried many of them, I guess. Gotcha. So, I mean, I have, like, Dragon Age Inquisition and uh, Skyrim a lot, so... That's true. You are a big Skyrim fan. Yeah, definitely on my playlist. About three years after producing Paper Mario, they would also produce the first WarioWare title. And uh, they're still working on WarioWare. In fact, they're hard at work on another WarioWare title that called WarioWare Get It Together that is slated to be released, I believe it's September. Um, It's later this year. So, And while we're on this topic of companies and people that are who have you know people who've made this first metroid game i thought we could take my usual uh take a moment and play my usual favorite game of who's who on the development team because we know how much i love this right yes so we already talked about gunpei okay yokoi yokoi whatever yokoi the chief the chief yes it's yokoi the chief director of metroid was satoru okada now, Okada frequently worked as an engineer under Yokoi. He worked on the Game & Watch hardware with him. He worked on the Game Boy alongside uh, him. Later on in Nintendo's history, Nintendo would actually take R&D 1 and split its game duties and its hardware duties. So they made basically what's in, they made a portable hardware division and Okada would become its first general manager. And in doing so, he was the one that got to oversee the creation of the Game Boy Color, the Game Boy Advance, the Advance SP, and the Nintendo, the original Nintendo DS. Um, in his game career before that, aside from directing Metroid here, he also got to direct Kid Icarus. Uh, we briefly may have mentioned his name when we talked about Super Mario Land back in episode 34, because he directed that as well. One of the artists here in Metroid we talked about just a few weeks ago in episode 49. That was Hirofumi Matsuoka. He was the director of Mario Paint. So another name, another guy. One of the other artists is in fact the one that's credited with naming Samus Aran, and that is Hiroji Kayotake. He's also the original designer of Wario and has been heavily involved in most of the Wario series. Uh, again, the first of which we talked about really briefly when we covered Super Mario Land because it started there. Uh, and uh, Kiyotake's also done most of the character design for the Mario Party series, which we covered way back in the 24th episode, which is just crazy to think of that Mario Party was episode 24 and we're double, we're double that at this point. That's just nuts. That means that was a long time ago. <laughs> and Jeez, Metroid- man. I know, we've been at this for a long time. Well, I was going to say, you got any other callbacks? That seems like we've done quite a few already. Hey, 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 if people want to learn about these other games, I'm just giving them the opportunity. I have other callbacks. Like this one, Metroid Music was composed by Hip Tanaka, whose names we've heard many times before when we covered Super Mario Land or when we covered Earthbound in Episode 40. Hip Tanaka is currently the president of Creatures Incorporated, which we're going to cover in depth when we talk about Pokemon later this year. How's that? That's a callback and a plug. Eh? 
Eh? Well, damn. Eh? Gotta one-up eh? me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and finally, there is one name I have to cover, and that is the guy who is pretty synonymous with the Metroid series now. He has produced or directed pretty much every 2D Metroid game ever made, and if you're a fan of Metroid, you will uh, be no stranger to uh, Yoshio Sakamoto. Aside from Metroid, he's also worked to help produce other games like Wario, and he pretty much did the character design of Kid Icarus. So, so we have the development of Metroid, right? And before I got on my person tangent, I was talking about how Nintendo wanted to distinguish Metroid from their other platforming games. And they wanted to do so by basically designing a non-linear adventure-based game in which exploration was a crucial part of the experience. You know, when we look back at the Donkey Kongs and the Mario Brothers and the Ice Climbers and everything of the world, they were pretty linear. They are linear games. You know, the screen mostly went left to right and up or down and and you went in a straight line and, and that was it. And here we are, you know, we we have this, in all honesty, we have this Famicom disc, disc, uh, disc drive. It gave them the ability to broaden the horizons with some more space, um, which is one of the benefits to the system, you know, and they were looking to take advantage of it. So here we are, a new game style, you know. This exploration pretty much requires players to re- retrace their steps. So we go forward, we go back, um, you know, we, 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 we explore. And like I talked about in the beginning, I'm a big fan of Metroid because most of Metroid is played by yourself and you have this really, I don't know, this really distinct sense of isolation. Rob, have you played any of the Metroids? I never did ask you that. I actually did play Metroid Prime when I was younger, uh, the one for the GameCube. So, and then yeah. I have played the original Metroid as well. So you, so you've you've played the 3D Metroid. That's your familiarity with the series. That's where I got my start with the Metroid series. Yes. Gotcha. Have you ever played Super Metroid? I don't believe I have played. No, I think I've, I actually have only played Prime in the yeah. original. So. If you've never, and then obviously playing Samus and Zero Suit Samus and Smash. If you've never played Super Metroid, you owe it yourself to play it. That is a uh, excellent. Well, I'll uh, excellent go. I mean, I mean, buy the legit <laughs> copy. Ha ha ha! I actually think it's on your. It's on your Switch. Oh, I, I, I believe. I mean, I know the original oh, Metroid is, and I'm almost positive that Super Metroid is one of the titles on Switch Online too. So you don't have to. Just have to find the switch. The production of and the development of Metroid was was as as Tanaka once is quoted as saying was a very free working environment. Um, you know he was the composer of it, but you know he was his input into graphics was um, was appreciated. You know he helped name some of the areas, so they they were really kind of a team. Some of the other influences for the game should come as no surprise that the 1979 Ridley Scott horror film Alien was described by Sakamoto as a huge influence on the game world itself. And, oh. and one of the other big inspirations was H.R. Geiger. His weird creatures uh, was kind of used for some of the themes, too. Yeah, got some fun stuff. 
One of the more interesting things to come out of to come out of development was the creation of Samus herself. You know, Samus was created by Kayotake. He's credited as the one who named Samus. And there's really, you know, in an interview, there's a really funny anecdote about that. I'll post the full interview on our website at www.memorycardlane.com, where I always post our show notes if you'd like to see. But basically, for this part, Kayotake admitted that he took Samus's name from Pele, the king of football. So Kayotake was a huge soccer fan, but apparently he wasn't huge enough of a soccer fan. Because he thought that Pele's real name was Samus Arantes Nascimentos, when it is in fact Edson Arantes Do Nascimento. And it really wasn't discovered until afterwards that he got the name wrong. But the truth of the matter is, once Samus Aran was Aaron Aran, I don't know which it is. I'm probably butchering it. In any case, once he heard the name, it just kind of stuck. The truth about Samus's sex, though, is that it wasn't until the final stage of development that it was decided that Samus was a woman. This came about at the point when the development team was discussing possibly designing multiple endings to the game. They wanted to surprise someone with some of the endings by removing Samus's helmet to determine what was underneath. And then randomly during this discussion, someone said, no one, and there's no credit, I couldn't find who said it, but some random person, I guess, said, wouldn't it be a shocker if Samus turned out to be a woman? Apparently everyone agreed at that moment it was an interesting idea. They uh, were all on board, and they decided right then and there that Samus was a woman. (laughs) So, there you go. It was someone's random thought, like it it was an epiphany. Hey, what if Samus was a woman? And, you know, we we kind of talked about the Japanese perception of that when we talked about Pac-Man, you know, because Pac-Man was designed because women, all women really wanted to do was eat. You know, that's where the cherries came from. So this is just another, like, someone probably said it half-ass out of their mouth as a joke. Hey, what if she was a woman? And then they're like, oh, that's cool. That's surprising enough. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But as for the most... Oh, yeah, well, you know. But as for the multiple endings, uh, they did that, too. Uh, Metroid's not the first, but it it is one of the earliest video games to contain multiple endings. And that came about because they wanted to reward players for playing through quickly. You know, at, at, at the time, there weren't as many games to choose from. They knew that players were playing games over and over and over. Part of that was playing it faster. And because as you got better and you practice, you got faster. And so basically there are five endings depending on how fast you get through the game. Uh, yeah, which we'll cover in a moment. I would also like to mention that, you know, the name that's synonymous with Metroid, you know, Sekimoto, he wasn't actually involved with Metroid in the beginning. It really wasn't until the final stretch that he was added to it. Uh, the, as the story goes, when he was wrapping up another game, I either Gumshoe or Wrecking Crew, based on what games he did before this, I'm not sure which, uh, a senior designer came to talk to him about Metroid. And at this point in the game's development, it had run into some problems that really caused it to not be, you know, it might not have been finished in time, and they, they didn't know how to get past it. And so they came to talk to him about joining the project. He was really reluctant at first. But then it said that the uppers, the the supervisors in the company, either, I don't know, pressured him or persuaded him to do it. And he managed to come in 
uh, and save the day, basically. You know, with limited resources, they were able to they were able to finish the game. Sekimoto was involved with the, the last three months of the game, basically. And then a little bit of fan service. So towards the end of the credits, there's a special thanks to Toru Mako Mako. It's probably Mako Benkai. Man, I can't do names. Basically, the story behind that special thanks is that during those last three months, they worked late in the office so frequently that they ordered from three, re- you know, from restaurants near the company. And those three restaurants, Benkai Dining, Toru, and sometimes Mako, were the especially helpful restaurants. So they decided to put those three in the credits as a special thank you. So, wow, that's a very that's interesting a, fact. I, I know that's an interesting one. So, yeah. A lot of fun things to come out of the development of Metroid. A lot of fun people to come out of the development of Metroid. You know, they did create a game that was unlike anything else that had been that had come out at the time. Honestly, it, it if you compare it to the video game genre, this is August of 1986, everything before. There really isn't something like it. It's a it was a very unique game at the time. All right, Rob, so you've had the opportunity to play Metroid Prime. You mentioned that you've also played the original Metroid here. Tell me about the plot. What do you what what do you know about the plot of Metroid? Uh, not nearly as much as you think. Well, what do you think it is? I mean, you're a bounty hunter who yep. has to kill Metro Metroids. Duh. Yeah, kind of pretty much. Hey, so you're that, saving the day, you know? Well, you're the hero. I, that's essentially it. You're right. In the year 2000-something, so now maybe, who knows, you know, space pirates attack a research vessel, and they see samples of Metroid creatures. So you're not wrong. Um, these Metroid creatures, they're, they're dangerous floating organisms. They basically uh, latch onto your ha- head and suck you dry. Just absolutely suck you dry. Basically, the Space Pirates' plan is to replicate the Metroids by exposing them to, in the instruction manual, it says exposing them to beta, 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 beta rays, and then they want to use them as biological weapons to destroy all living beings that oppose the Space Pirates. While searching for these stolen research samples of Metroids, uh, the basically the Galactic Federation locates the space pirates base um which is on the planet that you land on and so they decide to send a lone bounty hunter to penetrate the pirates base and destroy what they call mother brain which is a biomechanical life form that controls the space pirates fortress and its defenses and as the story goes because she's considered the greatest of all bounty hunters samus is chosen for the mission she lands on the surface and explores the planet, traveling through the planet's caverns. So, I mean, they, you know, elaborated, but uh, but you're not wrong, are you? Uh, no, no, nope. I just didn't have uh, as nope. much detail. I was very broad. Nope. 10,000 foot view instead of the 10 nope. foot view. Just land on a planet and fight space pirates and those pesky metroids that just suck and suck and suck. Yar matey, that'd be a <laughs> sucking alien. <laughs> oh man! Well, they do. The Metroids—they just—they—they—they they, they latch onto you, and they just suck. 
They like you. You can't. They won't. You know. You can. I don't know. Beat them. Grab their head. Pull. Pull. I. That they, they. They don't go anywhere until you bomb them. You got to bomb them to get you off them. In case you didn't know. In case you you live underneath a rock, which you might. You know. I. We have a lot of people who listen to this that maybe don't play video games. And yeah. you don't. You don't know what Metroid is. It's basically an action adventure game. In which you control Samus in two-dimensional landscapes. Um, it takes place on the fictional planet of I think it's Zebes, isn't it? Uh, which is yeah. which is basically a large open-ended world that's connected by doors and elevators. And so, what we mean by that, where it's different, since Mario is so recognizable, it's very easy to go. But Mario, you take your stage and stage scrolls from left to right. But one of the very unique things about Metroid is right from the get-go, you can go in either direction. In fact, the first direction you need to go by design is to the left to get your first power-up to go right. You know, they... And look, that is so flippin' genius. I mean, you gotta think about that from the game design standpoint, right? Up until this point, everyone was used to, I, was used to going right. And if you go right in this game, you're going to hit a dead end almost immediately, which tells you that the only other way to go is left. And that is just it's such a simple thing, but it is literally just genius game design because you have to teach your players right right from the right, right from the get go. Hey, man, you can go in both directions in this game. It's pretty cool, huh? (laughs) So, yeah, that is uh, pretty interesting, actually. I didn't really think of it that way. Well, we we take these things for granted nowadays because every game, you know, we're we're three three D, four D, VR, every R. You know, you can go and where you want, do what you want. But that wasn't the case in nineteen eighty six. Like, th- this is just this is this is new stuff, and there weren't really open world games. You know, uh, we had Zelda. You know, which which what you know, we had Zelda earlier. It was also 35 years. Zelda's 35 this, so they were both 1986 games. So this is at a time period when that was just becoming a thing where you could go in all these directions, you know? And so a lot of these early things were designed to train people to be different than a side-scroller, which is just, again, it's really fascinating to think about how simple that is, but how much of a necessity it is. Right. And, And even more... You also establish right from the get-go because when you go left, you go left a screen, you know, not that I'm giving it away, to get the morph ball, which is one of, you know, Samus's things where she turns into a ball, can roll into tight spaces. So you go left to establish the fact that you can get a power-up that gets you new special abilities. And that's that's the game. Like, that's the game. You you go different places to find these power ups. The power ups may allow you to access places that you haven't been able to access before, and you rinse and repeat. That's well. I mean, we're going to talk about the genre in a minute, but that's that's where this all started. You know, and these power ups are like the morph ball, the bomb. You know, Samus has been doing bombs forever, and the screw attack, which is super cool. Uh, pretty much you just spin when you jump and anything that hits you dies. So you're pretty much invincible when you're jumping, once you get the, once you get the screw attack, I would like to basically point out that one of the more interesting things about the version we're used to on the United, the U S and the European version is that we had passwords on the Famicom disc system. You could save your games on the disc, 
so they had save slots. But when it was brought over to the cartridge, this was before we had battery battery backup, uh, the technology for battery saves that could be saved on the cartridge itself. And so this game employs a uh, password system. So the most famous of which is Justin Bailey. That's like the most famous password. And apparently it means nothing. Like I tried to research. There's all these theories about like, was it someone's name? You know, was it a tribute? Was it this? But realistically, no one's ever come up with anything. So it might just be a coincidence, coincidental password, which I guess is kind of cool. Seems very odd thing to just be coincidental, but I guess it's always possible. So, so I want to talk more about the genre that Metroid eventually gave way to that carries its name to this day. But first, Rob, we're going to learn a new a new word of the day, and that's portmanteau. Do you know what a portmanteau is? Um, is that the poor man's toe, but with a it, T? It is. Yes. <laughs> is it like? A matchup of two different words. It is. Yep. It's so it's a blend of words in which multiple words are combined into a new word. So some real word examples are smog, which is smoke and fog, motel, which is motor and hotel. A more recent one is bromance, which is obviously bro and romance. Motorcycle, which is a motorized bicycle, motor and bicycle. Some companies use it like Netflix, which was originally the Internet and flicks. You like flicks as in movies. Sometimes you get hangry, you know, when you're hungry and angry. And for the last year, almost everyone has had an extended staycation, which is a stay in vacation because we can't go anywhere because of covid. And of course, you may have spent some of your time l- on your staycation listening to our podcast, which is an iPod broadcast. Whew. How was that? Is that pretty good? Pretty good, Dave. Pretty good. I mean, there's other less appropriate ones like Sexercise. That one always cracks me up. So, uh, yeah, I, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I nope. That wasn't one that I was familiar with. Thanks for that. Yep, you're welcome. Anyway, lot of portmanteaus. Uh, portmanteau? Portmanteau? I don't know. Anyway, Metroid is a blend of the words Metroid and Android. And it helped create a genre that is a mashup of two games that popularized this playstyle. Those two games are Metroid and Castlevania, which of course gave us the genre, one that I am particularly very fond of called a Metroidvania. Rob, uh, I thought it was a Castleoid. Damn, that's a good joke. I'm kind of bummed I didn't think of that one. <laughs> that's a really good joke. Do you play Metroidvanias at all? Uh, um, I don't think me knowing your gaming history, I don't think there's a lot of Metroidvanias in it at all. Um, um, I mean, obviously, with the exception of actually Metroid, I can't. I don't believe so. No. So for those of you not in the know, a Metroidvania is it can be 3D, but it's typically a 2D side scrolling platform game where you have a very large interconnected world map that the player can explore and access to certain parts of the world are often limited by doors or other obstacles that can only be passed once the player has acquired special items, tools, weapons, abilities or knowledge. So, for instance, you know, you may not be able to get to a a certain part of the map because you can't jump high enough 
and at some point, and that's the case with Metroid, you get high jump boots, which make you jump higher, which lets you get to that part of the map. In some games, it's a double jump. In some games, it's a grappling hook. You know, that's certainly the case in Super Metroid. Um, so you get these tools, and so basically, you know, the map opens up to you as your abilities grow. These improvements are also going to help you defeat more difficult enemies. You'll locate shortcuts. You'll find secret areas. Metroidvanias involve a lot of backtracking because the map isn't necessarily straightforward. Sometimes you have to go forward and back and up and down. Um, yeah, like when you get bombs and you can bomb and go downward, for instance, go down. Um, but yeah, so you just it, it's a it's an exploration game where as you get stronger, you can explore more. This pretty much was the beginning of it. You know, this Metroid game really established the principles of a nonlinear platform game, um, though it's pretty much argued that its sequel, Super Metroid, which would come in 94, really polished the style of gameplay that is kind of the defining characteristic of Metroidvanias to this day. Um, one of my absolute favorites in the series, the one that I think kind of cemented the genre is Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which came in 97. Um, yeah, if you've never played that, Castlevania Symphony of the Night is awesome, and I'm pretty sure it's pretty much on all the uh, other platforms. Um, but yeah, and as indie game, there was an indie game resurgence in the 2000s. I think that a lot of Metroidvanias kind of came about, and now you have big studios and indie studios that will cover, that will do Metroidvanias. Uh, towards the end of the year, in December, we're going to do an episode on Cave Story. That was a Metroidvania that... Cave Story is really, like, the game that really helped blow up the indie game concept in the early 2000s, so we'll cover that. Some more recent Metroidvanias, if you need modern examples of what I'm talking about, a incredibly popular one is the Ori series, Ori in the Blind Forest and Ori in the Will of the Wisps. Both gorgeous and a ton of fun metroidvanias that i played bloodstained ritual of the night believe that's on game pass that's a metroidvania hollow knight my favorite game of 2018 if i'm not mistaken was 2018 might be 2017 uh in any case whatever year hollow knight came out that was my favorite game that year that is an excellent excellent metroidvania Metroidvania and the roguelite, roguelite genre kind of blend together in Dead Cells, which is another excellent game, also on Game Pass, if I'm not mistaken. And Axiom Verge is another modern, um, another modern Metroidvania game. So there are some examples if you want to play them. I would, I would, Dead Cells is a great game. I would highly recommend Hollow Knight and the Ori series. Uh, Ori is, uh, if you play Ori, get ready for the feels. It's a it's a really beautiful and emotional game. So, you played any of those, Rob? Uh, I don't believe so. No. Missing out, man. Missing out. Missing out. But yeah. So Metroid started the first one, and then we took Metroid. We took Castlevania. We still haven't done a Castlevania episode, have we? Nope. Yeah, we got to plan one of those maybe for next year. Mm, um, that two ideas. Ooh. I know, I know. Well, I have other ideas. I have other ideas too. I just, you know, gotta take time. We only scheduled through the end of this year, you know, and and we get in the holidays, we'll start scheduling ahead. So, but uh, yeah, so that'll do it. 
that's pretty much Metroid. That's pretty much the Metroid game, the Metroidvania genre, the development. So you have the game itself, its inspiration, you know, uh, Ridley Scott's Alien and, and Geiger. And you have its legacy in the Metroidvania. I think I tied all that up nicely in there. But we're not done yet, are we? Nope, sure aren't. As usual, usual, I like to pull reviews. I knew I was going to be long-winded today, so I didn't pull critic reviews because uh, the truth of the matter is is that everybody really likes this game from the critic standpoint. It, it pretty much blew everyone away. But what's fun when you look at games that blows everyone away is finding people who weren't quite blown away from the game and so that is what we did today i found a number of user reviews for you to cover rob in which people basically tell us why they're not fans of this game you ready i sure am take it away kiddo first up from metacritic.com we have user starfighter 76 who says holy hell okay i know this is a classic nintendo game I know it was one of the first games that allowed some wide exploration, but I just can't have fun with this game to save my life. First off, going in without some form of a guide is ill-advised unless you have a ton of time on your hands and can get stomach from some hardcore repetition. You will definitely get lost. Trust me. Now let's talk about the difficulty. This isn't your standard Nintendo hard. This is take... This is take ridiculous... Oh. Yeah, sorry. This is take ridiculously damaging pot shots that come at you from every single opportunity. Enemies you can't hit attacking you from below, enemies hitting you through doors, enemies attacking you diagonally, for which there is no defense. This makes for a perfect recipe of rage. Now, the real problem. <clears throat> this game is boring. I mean, yeah. Jesus. All you do is run through impossibly repetitive environments, shooting enemies, moving in their set patterns, picking up some missiles here, some health increases there, fight a boss, rinse, wash, repeat till the bitter end. Getting an upgrade is, well, not satisfying. The deal breaker is that with all of the BS, there's really nothing there to make it all worthwhile for a feeling of overwhelming emptiness dominating the entire game. Okay, so what's funny about that review? He's not wrong in a lot of things. Um, it is a big open map. It is it, it. This is the time before we had maps. You know, nowadays you can. There's basically a map code in every game, so you had to learn the game or, or draw. I, I'll tell you, back then we drew things. Like you know, people will tell you back in the early computer days when they played games, they drew maps of everything. That's what we all did with this too. But um. I think it's funny that he talks about the ridiculously damaging difficulty uh, and then backs it up with this game is boring. All you do is run through repetitive environments, shooting enemies, moving in their set patterns. So it's boring because it's repetitive and the enemies run in set patterns, but it's ridiculously hard. Does that make sense? You get what I'm saying? If if enemies run in their patterns, why would that? I guess I guess uh, Dark Souls is the same way, though, isn't it? Where it's super hard, but anim- enemies have their patterns, and learning those patterns is the key to beating it. Yeah, basically. Yeah, see, I just don't... I don't know. Don't get me wrong. He's not wrong. This game is hard, but I don't feel like 
those two things kind of go together. I don't know why it'd be boring if it was super hard. Uh, that's just me. So, all right, take the next one, which looks okay. Go ahead. All right. So next up, we have user thousand from Metacritic.com, who says that while the gameplay is good in Metroid, your chances of getting lost are at one hundred and two percent. Really, you don't know where to go. You start the game with only 30 HP and a laser gun that can barely go three meters beyond you. You are so weak in the beginning. Trust me. Also, the continue system is just pathetic. Each time you die, you restart at the beginning of the zone. Guess what? With 30 HP left. All the screens are way too similar. Special honor for Crate Chamber, which optimizes the chances of getting lost. Finally, the game is too hard. Even worse than Castlevania, Contra, or Ninja Gaiden. The level design is brutal. There's too many hard-to-hit enemies, and they attack too hard. 20 HP. B-R-U-T-A-L. Brutal. Well, at least the music is okay. But don't buy that classic. It didn't age well at all. I hate that acid lava. It's impossible to get out of. There's also a frustrating glitch, like when an enemy hits you into a door. Defenseless. Oh, BTW? There is no map in an exploration game. (laughs) God. Oh, man. I'm okay. All right. Well, you know, I'm not I'm not going to pretend that it's easy to find your way through it. Uh, So. uh, All right. We have one more from someone that we've heard of before, and he has quite a lot to say about this, actually. So, Oh, my goodness. Yep. Well, last up, we have user Bregalad from MobyGames.com, who starts off while saying that the only thing I like to have... Who starts off by saying the only thing I have to like about this game is its story. Nintendo cared to write a sci-fi-based scenario with some imagination behind it, not just a dummy excuse for a game giving name to planets and enemies, so the overall design of the game got above-average quality here. Unfortunately, you won't really enjoy the story while playing the game, because there's absolutely no story scenes or whatever. The game is totally unlinear, and was among the first platformers to feature unlinearity. The game has its innovation factor overall. Unfortunately, while Nintendo cared to design an attractive global setup for Metroid, they totally failed to put any quality in the game itself. I personally count Metroid among the worst gameplay experiences I ever had. This game just lacks everything a game needs to be a good one. People showing so much credit to this game should be sarcastic or something, because I really don't see a single point in this whole game, aside the little that is mentioned above, which is even decent. Okay. All right. All right, Bregalad. What else does he have to say? Continues on by saying that the game consists of wandering around freely between levels, and pass through doors to interconnect rooms. The only limit to where you can go is your actual abilities, which are actually the only reason why you cannot go straight to the final boss at the beginning of the game. True. You have to gain the power to do higher jumps, to freeze enemies and step on them, to dig under the door with bombs, and to roll on the floor to make your way through the game. I know, nothing is wrong yet. However, as simple as this sounds, this provides a long, long list of frustrations, which will begin here. Hey, when I... first played the game, I went right. And after a while, I found myself unable to go any further. So I went left backwards. 
and right after passing where the game starts, I just found myself in a dead end with an item that allows the pass under walls to continue further right. This whole game is like this. It's unlinear, but you don't have a single idea where to go. You're feeling lost constantly. Oh, so the thing I think is a gaming design bit of genius is this guy's gripe. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, carry on, because it only gets better from here. So Berglad continues asking, why is Metroid considered as an all-time classic? Why? 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 In all objectivity, I have not a single idea. I don't even know how some people can enjoy playing this game. It is not enjoyable at all. Just a flow of constant frustration. I know this game originally came out in 1986 in Japan. That is quite early for a Famicom game, but still, they really could provide slightly better graphics. Castlevania, for instance, has been released about the same time for the same system and features graphics that are a hundred times better than this. Okay, moving on. The animation is horrible. Oh. Your, Your playable character, Samus, is supposed to be a woman with a suit. When I first played the game, I haven't checked the story. I really thought you were controlling an alien. It's just a mess of brown and green that has a big head, and the arms and legs are just a mess of the same color that look like nothing. Enemies look bad, too. And most of them have only one animation frame, so they don't even animate. They just move. But they are not as near or they are not as poorly drawn as your playable character, which is not bad, but the main character is much more important than the enemies. Alright, so don't like the graphics, don't like the animation. What else doesn't he like? Uh, the level design in Metroid is, for the most part, horrible. Various items are located in various locations, and they made you have the worst time finding them. Screens are arranged either horizontally, most of them are decent, but boring and similar, or vertically, which have a lot of te- tedious, repetitive, small platforms, which makes horizontal screens almost enjoyable. <laughs> You must use your special abilities to your you gain in the game in order to reach some places, which typically contain other special abilities, etc. That concept didn't work very well in Metroid, because you don't have a clue on how to use your abilities and where. Metroid was designed with some care to it, but overall, it's a horrible game to play. One of the worst gameplay experiences I had. It has some better sequels, but this one is horrible. I often also see good parts of games I don't like, but for this particular one... I really don't see anything either fun, beautiful, educative, creative, or addictive in it. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. What was his wrap up? So Bergley finishes by saying that all people calling this a masterpiece are either sarcastic, ironical, or just doesn't have the same concept of quality than me in video games. I'd almost recommend to download the game emulated to make fun of how bad this game looks or just stay away. And if you happen to like the game, don't hesitate to write a review to tell people why, because I really don't know how to like such a horrible game. That was there's just so much joy in that review. I know it's longer than most reviews we read, but I really couldn't help because just I mean everything. He, he can't see anything fun, beautiful, educational, educative is what he said, creative or addictive in it. None, nothing. There's no redeeming characteristics to this game other than the story. And look, his biggest gripes are getting lost. And while I agree it's confusing, it's literally like the staple of this genre. And this is the first game. This is the first game in in said genre. You you know what I mean? Absolutely. 
Uh, so the defining characteristics of a, a what is a bigger genre nowadays, he hates. And that cracked me up. And so I felt the need just to give him a platform to, you know, to integrate his written review into the oral tradition of the video game Zeitgeist. So you're welcome, Bregalot, who we've heard of before. I just don't remember where. But yeah. So there you go. Not everybody likes Metroid. So I'm going to tell you as part of my wrap up, I think this is a good place to wrap up the game get and get towards the end of the episode. I played through it this week. I did use a guide because I wanted to burn through it as quick as possible. If you're not in the know, it has five endings, the first of which and the best you get if you beat it within an hour, the second of which if it's less than three hours, and then I think three to five maybe 5 to 10 and over 10 might be it. In any case, I beat it in the second ending, the good ending. Uh, I think I beat it in just over two hours uh, using a guide, which honestly made it way more enjoyable for me playing through it, which is probably why I never finished it before. And, you know, it's kind of weird because I played a lot of Super Metroid. I, I think Super Metroid is a phenomenal, phenomenal game, but I just never was able to get back to metroid and actually finish it but i did finally so go me go you uh rob any questions comments concerns maybe you want to send break a lot of i'm sorry note anything you'd like to add about the game itself well i do think that it is kind of cool knowing that the two mini bosses in this game create and ridley well obviously knowing that the game page homage to ridley scott's alien that ridley i never really put two and two together so it's kind of a cool little thing i learned today mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well there you go so so this yeah. is about the yeah i know right where do we go from here <laughs> dave dave you're great at transitions uh anyway as always if you want to learn more about this game maybe read some of the reviews not re- well yes read the reviews or read the interviews that i used to put some of this uh all the stuff we talked about together together today you can do so by going to uh to our web man uh, there's gonna be so many us for me to get out of this episode today anyway you can do so by going to our website 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 at www.memorycardlane.com at memorycardlane.com you can view my show notes uh, go back to old shows episodes on our archives you can go look at a calendar to see what episodes we're going to be covering from now to the end of the year alongside each episode there's a submission button where if you would like to contribute a, a question we can answer like our bounty hunter question or a memory about the game or just you want to tell me how much the game sucks i will read your stuff on air do not give people like bregalad the only voice on this podcast please 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 also on our website you can find a link to join our discord and support us we've had a couple new people join uh recently uh so if you're new to the community discord thank you so much for joining welcome to our community and you can also find a link to support us on our patreon either through the link on our website or at www.patreon.com slash trip down memory card lane you can support this fledgling podcast for two dollars a month we've actually had a lot of new subscribers new people join our discord i haven't really checked the patreon uh hopefully there's new people there um 
but it's been some really good uh, traction lately. So to all you that have been supporting us and sharing us and getting the message out there, thank you. Lastly, speaking of getting the word out there, you can find our social media plugs. I have a Twitter handle, uh, David is wrong. You could find a link to that. And Rob, why don't you plug them social medias right now? I can be found on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And that will about do it for our celebration of Metroid's 35th birthday. Yay. Yay. Um... Always at this point in the episode, before we take it out for the day, we like to go round table and get back to why we're here today. In case you didn't know, we like to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world and its inspiration, or what it gave back to it in its legacy. As part of this round table, we'll go and find out what each of us learned new. So Rob, what did you learn? Well, like I said, I did not know that one of the bosses or many bosses in the game was named for Ridley Scott because they took like, I guess I guess I should have known seeing the way the game design was, but I never really put two and two together that it was kind of loosely like designed off of Ridley Scott's alien. So that's a pretty cool thing that I learned. Awesome. Very awesome. You. I never knew that Samus. Samus's name was based off of Pele, a mistaken Pele interpretation. I think that's kind of hilarious. Um, I think that's hilarious. Samus is basically a, because someone misunderstood a famous, the famous, like the most famous football player's uh, name. So hilarious. Well, I've, ar- I- I've already thanked everyone. So your turn. We can For take what? it out. We can take it out of here. I said I've always. <laughs> <Not shit. laughs> oh my god, that was lost on me. Yeah, I uh, think it's about it's it's about time we need to sign off. So why don't you go ahead so we can get out of here? As always, I want to take a moment to say thank you to all of the new folk. Thank you to all of those who've been here from the start. Thank you all around. We love what we do. We're hope we're hoping that you're enjoying it as well. So thank you, thank you. And once more, thank you. Dave, hey, guess what? Back to you. Guess what next week is? What's next week, Dave? Episode 52, which means we've been doing this for a year. Oh, my. I know. And don't you know, I think I think that the title for next week, which is completely unrelated to the fact that it's our one year anniversary, but I think it's a title we can both agree that we're going to enjoy talking about. Um. Next week title is pretty much the game that popularized first person shooters on consoles. It will spend some time debating, but I think that without it, we may never have the gaming powerhouse franchises like Halo or Call of Duty. Released in 1997, GoldenEye 007 for the N64 is the defining multiplayer shooting experience of that of, of a generation, pretty much. And the one of the absolute best-selling titles on Nintendo 64. You a 007 fan, Rob? I enjoy a good 007, Dave. Yeah, I know. I know you do. I, I do as well. So, um, well, you guys know the drill. We're going to be back next week. We're going to talk a little bit about about one year of podcasting. We're going to talk a little bit about GoldenEye 007. 
uh, it's going to be a good time. So why don't you take a break? Come join us again the same time next week as we take a couch co-op trip and birthday celebration trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Do the thing.